Welcome to the Table Podcast. We hope what you hear today inspires joy in your heart and causes you to be convinced that God is good and He is for you. Enjoy the message. So let's go on. Verse 30. I love that Jesus never directly answers a statement because he's not so much concerned about being right as he is concerned about your heart really processing the truth. He could have easily said, oh, yeah, yeah, you know who your neighbor is. Don't play with me. But he said, oh, you know what? I'm going to tell you a story because that's what I would have said if I was Jesus. I'm like, you know who it is. You, You know. Don't be coming for me, but I'm glad that Jesus is Jesus and I'm me, you know, so he got this. And um, he starts out by telling a story. And although this seems very subtle, let me tell you, there's a lot of tension in the room when he shares this. Jesus says a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. So at this point, the lawyer will be able to identify directly with this Jewish man because he himself is Jewish. So let's keep going. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. And a temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. So I've got to highlight this. Jesus is setting up a narrative where someone has been stripped of their dignity, they're broken, they're beaten down, and they've been left for dead. No one cares if they survive. This robber has tried to take everything from this person, right? And he highlights particular people that should be of influence that did nothing. Very important. I did some research as to why this would probably have happened. The first priest probably walked by and assumed that the man was dead and that there was nothing else that he could do. Have you ever seen a problem that seemed too big for for you to be able to touch it? That's where we are right now. Racial reconciliation seems like that thing that's on the side of the road that's like, man, I don't think I can touch that. I don't think I can do, I don't think, I think it's, it's something that's beyond me. I don't think there's anything I can do. And Jesus is challenging that. I'll show you. Then the next person comes along, and it's a temple assistant, which means he's a little bit of a lower rank, you know, than the priest, but he's headed in the same direction. He actually takes a look at the man and, like, surveys the fact that he's alive, and he still does nothing. One of the reasons why this happened is because they cannot touch anyone who is ceremonially unclean. They're not allowed to get in the dirty stuff in the mess because their reputation changes if they get involved. I'm preaching to somebody right now. So the people of authority don't touch the man who is broken because if they get too close to this, it might change their circumstance. If they get too close to this situation, they might not be held in the same regard or the same esteem. They might lose their job. They might lose their position. Does somebody hear what I'm saying right now? This is what's happening in our world right now. We're seeing broken people on the side of the road, but our convenience and our position and what we have, it's too risky for us. We don't want to give that up. We don't want people to see us 
different or associate us with a broken man. Because if I touch his uncleanliness, if I touch his condition, then what are people going to think about me? Y'all, I hope this is recorded for quality control purposes <laughs> because this is some real stuff. You're not hearing this in nobody's church, but you're going to hear it in here. This is exactly what's happening. People are letting their convenience and their reputation keep them from being connected to the broken. And that's not the heart of God. Y'all, I'm hot. I'm sorry. I get passionate. So then, after the temple assistant walks over, says, hey, I can't invest in something like that. That is beyond me. That is something that's going to ruin me. Yeah, I would help him in the long run, but what happens to me? What happens to my life? What happens to my convenience? What happens if the if world changes and, and, and I can't go back to my status? They were thinking of all the wrong things. And they walk by. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Notice that Jesus used the word despised Samaritan. At this point, this man is already hated. So he has no reputation to lose. At this point, this man has already been identified as being less than human, less than valuable, less than worthy. So for once, he can see why that condition that the man is in is so important. It shouldn't have to take us being broken down and ostracized and hurt to see a broken person on the side of the road and know that that's our obligation to help. But I think that the Samaritan understood what it was like to be that man. The Samaritan understood what it was like to have a condition to have something connected to their personhood that just kept them from being treated the way they should be treated. And it was because of that plight that compassion rose up in him because he could see himself in him. Sometimes we've forgotten how broken we were. Sometimes we've forgotten the condition that we were in. And that's why we don't see that level of compassion the same because we forget. We could have easily been him. That's the other thing that's very interesting about that story is that the way the journey was set up to Jericho is that robbers could easily attack you, leave you, and there was nothing else that anybody could do for you. Maybe people wouldn't travel there very often, and if they did, you know they're not going to help you because the other aspect of this is that if I stop, what if I get robbed? If I stop, let's say I don't care about the reputation but I don't want to get beat up. I don't want to get my stuff taken. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to become the victim of the same thing that broken, uh-oh. I don't want to become the victim of the same thing that broken man was a victim of. None of these are justifiable reasons to Christ for you to keep going. So the man who was hated had compassion on the one who was left behind. It says that he went over to him the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he could take care of him. I want you to note something. If the Samaritan had been in this same man's place that he's caring for, the culture would have told him not to touch him. He's literally healing the wounds of a man who would hate him the day before. 
The Good Samaritan, it is investing in someone who just 24 hours before this would have cursed him in the street. Do we now see how far love can really go when we love like Christ? Are we starting to see how powerful this narrative really is? That when we know the backstory of what a Samaritan really looks like and what his experience is and what role he played in that culture, how important is it that Jesus is making him the one that shows mercy? The one who is hated is showing mercy. The one who, if he was in the same place as this Jewish man, would not have received that same treatment, treated the Jewish man as if he would have been in that situation. Treated him the way he would want to be treated if he was robbed and beaten and left for dead. This is so powerful because it tells you that also on the other side, your bad experiences don't qualify you from not helping people. You don't get to not help people because you got hurt. You don't get to not reach down to people because you, you've been ostracized before. That's not the grounds. If anything, when Christ comes into those moments, it gives you compassion. And that's what motivated his decision. He wasn't looking for honor. He wasn't looking for pats on the back. He was looking at someone who could have easily been in the same situation that he was in. And he decided his life was worthy of investment. That he deserved a chance to be healed, to be whole, and not to just be left for dead. Then it says in verse 35, the next day, after he's taken care of him, after he's like touched his wounds, he's actually invested in the care of this person deeply. He didn't just say, well, I'm going to throw him up in here and then y'all do what y'all do. <laughs> I, at least I got him to the end, right? No, he goes above and beyond to say, what hurt you? What's really wounding you? How can I address the areas of, of, of your life that really dug deep into some deep hurt? He's going to those places, and he's willing to go there to someone who doesn't even know him, to someone who doesn't even understand his value. Can you imagine caring for somebody who doesn't know your worth? Can you imagine sacrificing yourself for someone who doesn't know just how worthy you are of love? Mm, this is a good story, y'all. Then he hands him, the innkeeper, two silver coins. So we're not just caring for the wounds. We're making sure that no one else, you know, comes in and keeps him from finishing his care. We're giving this man a level of security here, right? So he can stay a little bit longer. Now, obviously, this Samaritan has somewhere else to go. He's already been delayed. But he goes above and beyond to say this. Take care of this man. And if his bill runs higher than what I have... I'll pay you the next time I'm here. So he's even making an investment farther in the future that he can't anticipate. Again, he's showing that this man is worthy of this level of love, this level of follow through. This is not just, oh, well, I did that one week. I posted about it. Everybody celebrate me. And then months later, if he's still hurting, there's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> Maybe we don't need to send this out to everybody. <laughs> They're going to be like, dang, Siobhan, you getting us? I sure am. Because love, love leads these conversations because love fuels these conversations. I'm saying the stuff that nobody wants to say because I know that Christ wants us to love like this. 
I will put myself in the place of scrutiny to say this is what Christ desires for us to go beyond just an initial encounter with somebody and just addressing the wounds. Let's see what care he needs down the line and still invest in that too. That's love. So Jesus then asked the lawyer who was trying to get out of loving deeply one question. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even dignify Jesus by repeating the name Samaritan. This is the level of hate in his heart. That although he could see clearly who the hero, air quote, of the story was, he wouldn't dignify him enough to name him because his heart was still hardened. This is the most intense conversation to me in scripture about love. (laughs) And I think we've heard it so many times and it's just passed on our ears and it burns for a second and then we go on. But with the, the climate that we're in right now, I hope that you really embody every aspect of what Christ is teaching all of us in this. The one who shows mercy is the one who is loving well. Then Jesus said to him, because he set him up, he was like, hey, you asked me, you figured out the answer, now you go and do the same. He doesn't just leave him filleted open, checking him, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) He says, now there's a chance for you to love this way. I know that Jesus is equipping us by his spirit to love this way. But sometimes he has to reveal what we're not doing to show us what he can provide for us to do. That's a word, y'all. All All right, so so many times we break down this story, and and it's weird when the Holy Spirit gives me something because I'm not going to be too much longer. Sometimes I'm like, all right, Lord, I need to do this. I need to think about how to say this, and then I'm getting ready to go to sleep. And as soon as I stop thinking about it, this is what the Lord does. He goes, I got it. I'm like, oh, come on. I was finna get in the bed. And now you want to give me a word. I asked you all week long and you wait till I'm about to get in the bed. He's like, you had to get all the other stuff out of your head. So that's how he does me. If, if I need to hear from him, he's got to get rid of all that stuff throughout the day. And then he's like, are you good now? Now I can talk. <laughs> so this is what the Holy Spirit said. He said, what the good Samaritan did not do is just as much important as what he did do. Now, I'm going to lay out about five things that the Good Samaritan did not do that we often do. Know my heart when I'm saying these things because they're not easy to say. The Good Samaritan did not let inconvenience lead to inaction. Because the the best displays of love are usually inconvenient. (laughs) The Samaritan was at risk and it wasn't safe for him to carry someone that would consider him an enemy on his donkey. You know, you know me, I'm that type of person. I guess I watch stuff and I think of silly scenarios. I'm thinking, okay, the Jews hate me. What if that man had got just a little bit of strength and realized it was a Samaritan that was carrying him on his donkey? They could have been fighting. 
I think like that. I'm like, he could have woke up and just been like, hold up, man. I don't like you like that. Why am I on your donkey? What you about to do with me? You know, <laughs> can you imagine somebody that hates you is carrying you somewhere and you come to yourself? You're thinking, this dude about to torture me. This ain't no saving. You know, <laughs> like, here I am thinking crazy. Like, I'm writing the action story of these narratives. Like, they about to fight. <laughs> but I know myself. It would be hard to let somebody who hates me love me. Or let somebody who I have hated love me. And, and so at the end of the day, we've got to consider what level of brokenness was this man in to know that his enemy was about to care for him. He had finally come to a place where he realized, this is my only chance and I'm not about to let my biases keep me from being blessed by you. Ooh. I felt that in my chest. I'm sorry, Lord. Mm. That hit me. I never imagined what it would be like for this Jewish man, how humbling it would be for him to realize that the, his own people left him alone. His culture left him for dead. His people saw his condition and, and let their reputation and their inconvenience motivate the lack of action. Mm, that says a lot. Here's the second thing that the Samaritan did not do. He did not need the backstory to know the broken man needed help. We're about to get into it. How many times have we said, all right, well, I see you down there, but did you, did you carry a weapon? Did you fight first? Why did you go at this time of night? Shouldn't you have gone at another time? And we throw out all these excuses and reasons why somebody is not worthy of help because we have been the judge of their narrative and said that they're worthy of love based on their actions and their, what they've done. What? That's not Jesus. Since when did we become the judge and jury of who's worthy of love? Since when have we set the standard or the criteria or the characteristics of someone who should be helped when they're broken? We do this. We say, now if I risk everything to help you, I need to know you got a good backstory. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> help us, Father God, if this is what we have done. Lord, teach us. Because we don't need the backstory. You know what we have? We have the present story. Right now, they're broken. That's all we need to know. We don't need to know anything else but they're broken and they're in need and we should have what's in us that helps them heal. Here's the other thing. Ooh, Jesus. He did not have to judge the cause of the man's circumstance before offering to help. So what if he was an addict? So what if he was transgender? So what if he lived a lifestyle that was contrary to what you agree with? Right now he's broken and he can see Jesus better from this position than any other place that he's been. So why not start there showing him Jesus? This is what's happening. The church culture is setting criteria for how well we should love people based on their failures. And that's anti-gospel. That is anti-gospel. So what if he had an alternative lifestyle that we don't agree with? Right now, 
He's broken and he needs care. Can we put aside our biases long enough to see what's really wrong? Can we put aside our misconceived notions about how somebody ended up where they were before we decide to help them? Please. Because if the church ain't going to do this, you know our cancer culture, cancel culture ain't going to do it. Society is running to throw you away when you say one wrong thing. You can say the wrong pronoun and they're going to throw you away. Praise God. I'm like, golly, I didn't know what I didn't know. <laughs> Give me a second chance. I just didn't know, <laughs> you know, and y'all be wondering, like, why should I know post on social media? I'm not trying to get canceled yet. <laughs> I need some time to get myself together. Good Lord. <laughs> Come here. Have a conversation with me because I can say one wrong pronoun and y'all, they going to put us on the stake. Like, it's crazy. I'm like, I can say, God bless you, brother. And you're like, I don't identify as that. And I'm like, oh, Lord, you know, I didn't know. Give me a chance. And I'm not trying to be funny, but that's just where we are. I, I want to affirm people. I want to love them where they are. But they're already offended because they're broken and no one has cared before. So they don't even know what to do with people who love them. What would they do if the church came to those protests and all those things and wrapped our arms around these broken people instead of saying, you should be at home? <laughs> I'm wilding now and I don't even care because it's true. It's the truth. We have got to see people through the lens that Christ sees people. And he knew the full story. And yet he died. All right. I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to get back to that. Here's two more things that the Samaritan did not do. He did not have to share the same experience to know the man was worthy of care. I might stay on this one for a second. Since when do we have to know what everybody else has gone through and understand what everybody else has gone through to care about what they've gone through? Amen. Why does it take us having to know exactly what people have endured to have empathy? So what if you weren't abused? Can you still care for somebody who was? So what if you had both your parents? Can you care for the orphan? Does it really matter that you can't identify with their experience? No. So what if you've never been in black skin? Can you still care for black people? Yes. Yes, yes. None of the things that separated them culturally kept them from being recipients of love. Nothing. Nothing. And so we have to ask ourselves, have our lack of experiences kept us from empathizing? So what if you don't know what it feels like? Can't you still shoulder the burden? Can't you still care? That's never been a qualifier. But just in case you were wondering, Jesus experienced it all and for all of us. In every form he was tested, yet he was without sin. He felt every emotion. He felt the pain. He felt rejection. He knew what it was like to be a person of color. There's no experience that he doesn't have. That's the type of God we have. He wanted to relate and identify with us on every level. So guess what? We must also do the same. Last one. 
The Good Samaritan did not let their cultural differences keep him from showing kindness and going above and beyond to shoulder the burden. This, guys, is what reconciliation looks like. This, guys, is what loving your neighbor looks like. This is what Jesus desired for us to experience because this type of love points us back to the love that we've received. If the young lawyer had to do the same, so do we. But the bigger question to ask yourself tonight is, are you a loving neighbor? Because I know you've been that person on the side of the road, robbed of everything and left for dead. People of color in our nation right now are hurting. They've been robbed of opportunities. They've been marginalized. They've been ostracized. They've been murdered. And there's no way we can miss them. They're clearly broken. But Jesus identifies with all of us in that regard. He sees our true condition beyond the color of our skin. He sees the spirit in us. And I believe he's challenging us to love like we've never loved before. I love this quote. I found it in a commentary that I was reading. It says, Jesus doesn't end the parable by saying Jews ought to love all people, even Samaritans. Instead, he does the more shocking thing. He uses the unclean Samaritan as an example of what neighborly love is. He flips it on him and says the one person that you deem unworthy actually is capable of this kind of love too. The person that you hate actually is capable of love too. I believe that the good Samaritan is also the type of Christ. And why did I go over all the things that the good Samaritan did not do? Because Jesus did not do these things when it came to you. He did not let convenience lead to inaction. He did not need a background story to know you were broken and needed his help. He did not have to judge the cause of what you went through before he sent himself to die for us. And he did not have to share every same experience to know we were worthy of love. And he never wanted cultural differences to make anybody feel less than worthy of love. If all of these reasons I mentioned never stopped Christ for sacrificing for us, your lifestyle, or how you got in the circumstances you were in when he found you broken, then don't let that be the reason that you don't love. Because Christ never initiates anything that he doesn't empower and give an example for. So if he's calling you to this kind of love, it's because you have received this kind of love. When you were robbed and broken and stripped on the side of the road because the enemy told you up, lied to you, deceived you, took everything you thought you had. Jesus came in and poured wound, the oil of, of his anointing on your wounds and the wine to heal those wounds and cleanse you. Then he carried you and he paid the ultimate price so that you would never owe again. This is the reason why the church of God has been empowered to love this way. Because he first loved us.
I know that this is a challenging word, and, and I'll be honest, I'm not the most eloquent of speakers, but if I could leave you with anything, let God lead you by his spirit to love like this for the rest of your life. Not just while Twitter is blowing up, not just while Facebook is blowing up and Instagram is blowing up. Let your life be a testimony of this type of love. And not just for the black community, but for every community around the world. This is global. For every human being born on this earth, God, give us the grace to love like this. That we don't let risk and inconvenience keep us from investing. That we don't have to know the backstory or know how you got here or what you did wrong. All we know is that you're worthy of love because Christ loves you. And that's the only thing that we need. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. At the table, we are discovering Jesus together. If you were encouraged by today's message, do us a favor and subscribe to this podcast. That way you never miss out on future episodes. Also, help us get the word out by sharing this podcast on your preferred social media platform. To keep up on what's happening in our community, you can follow us on Facebook at The Table or on Instagram at The Table CCLA.